And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Welcome to Better to Speak, the podcast where we use storytelling to transform silence into language and action. I'm your host, Casey Felton. This season, we'll be exploring socio-political issues affecting Black communities through the lens of young Black storytellers and changemakers. This is the state of the young Black advocate. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share with y'all that in honor of its fifth anniversary, Better to Speak is launching our first ever grassroots fundraising campaign since 2017. This campaign will celebrate the journey we've been on the past five years and offer us some operational support as we continue to explore the possibilities of what lies ahead for our platform and organization. We're counting on the support of listeners like you to help us reach our goal of raising $5,000 by the end of July, and you can help us start strong by being one of the first supporters, specifically by donating whatever you can and spreading the word about the campaign. You can find the link to donate and learn how you can otherwise support the campaign in the show notes. So this June, we're celebrating Black history and culture, specifically in honor of Black Music Month, Caribbean Heritage Month, as well as Pride Month. And I want to frame this by talking about Black queer feminism, which author and scholar Mecca Jamila Sullivan defines as a set of approaches to thought, expression, and political action that critique structures of racism, sexism, heterosexism, classism, and several other forms of oppression. It also expands on some popular understandings of Black feminism by placing the voices and political lives of Black queer and LGBTQIA people at the center of Black feminist movements, both past and present. So we all know that Black people, specifically and especially Black women and Black queer folks, continue to move us closer to liberation in every aspect of politics and pop culture, and invite us to see the connections between the two when and where we otherwise might view pop culture solely as a tool for escapism, or politics as we traditionally know it as our sole tools of freedom. To further explore this, I recently spoke with Melly and Kay, who are the co-founders of 888 Studios, an interdisciplinary production company, about their work to serve independent artists through a black queer feminist lens. They offer artist management, currently managing three independent music artists as they journey through the beginning of their careers, as well as video production and graphic design services, and they're cultivating a working environment rooted in the holistic care of all artists, from the stories they tell to the people they tell them with to the processes they curate. Their dream is to establish a creative playhouse and radio-like vessel that broadcasts liberatory ideologies through visual art, sharing that earlier in March, our studio produced the first campaign for our debut original single, Dirty Girl. During the shoot, we looked around and saw a room full of black women and femmes creating the world we want to see, both in front of and behind the camera. All the work produced through our studio is funneled through a vessel that prioritizes the stories and creations of marginalized communities severely misrepresented and or overlooked in the media and visual arts. We specifically work to bridge these gaps of systemic power differentials by being intentional about the people we hire, the partnerships we form, and the considerations we make when storytelling. Keep listening to learn more about the queer black feminist ideologies that ground and guide 888 Studios' creative projects and universe building, as well as the music and creative projects they have coming up. This is Melly and Kay's story. Yeah. Um, so hi, everyone. I'm Melly. Um, I am really excited to be here. So thank you so much, Casey, for inviting us. My background is primarily in uh, 
political organizing. So that's where I essentially got my start. I started organizing around issues of educational uh, justice, specifically racial justice and education when I was about 14. And it was something that I really stumbled into. I didn't at the time know what an organizer was. I just knew that there were issues in my local community that I wanted to fix. And I thought that I was equipped to fix them. Um, and so from the ages of 14 to about 21, I was an organizer really stumbling my way into adulthood, um, figuring out how to utilize my voice, how to stand up for the things that I believed in, but also intimately becoming aware of my positioning as a Black queer girl in the world. And so I think all of that experience um, with organizing um, has really helped to shape where I am now with uh doing visual art through the studio with Kirsten. Um, for me, it's really about how do we bring these theoretical ideas and how do we depict them in visual form so that we can actually make these futures tangible for Black girls and Black queer folks. Beautiful, as always. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Kay. Um, and yes, Casey, thank you so much for inviting us on. Um, happy to be here with you guys. A bit about me. My background is in TV and film. I have um, experience doing graphic design. Um, I would argue that I am that really cute word that people like to say. Um, I'm a multi-hyphenate, a multi-creative uh, of sorts. Um, so yeah, I've um, the the studio really started um, way before. 2022, I, I would argue it started back when I was attending um, uh, Howard University. Um, I had always had this um, idea of like wanting to, I was a photographer initially and I was like, um, people would ask me, oh, like, are you going to be a photographer? And I was like, yeah, no, like I, I, I want to be a photographer, but there are so many other things. I have so many other interests, curiosities. Um, things that my mind and my heart feel naturally inclined to um, look into and to do. Um, but I was like, you know, ideally I would be in a space where um, I would be supported by a really dope creative team. We would be working on um, all types of visual arts. Um, and, um, you know, we would ideally just be having our hands in a, in a multitude of different things. But at the time, I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, and so shortly after I met Mel, um, I ended up being an assistant, um, on a set, met, uh, two young black women who owned a creative agency. Um, and that was the first indication that what was on my mind and heart was actually possible. Um, and so that's kind of where the studio, um, at least was birthed from. Um, but yes, I, I would say primarily background is working in the TV space, commercial space. I've done everything from production assisting to being a production coordinator, a graphic designer, um, working alongside directors um, to create treatments for commercials and music videos. Um, we now currently are co-managing three artists. Um, so yeah, along with Mel, I think the biggest thing for me with the studio is um, just making sure that because we are working with young black queer folks and queer um and black women um that we do provide 
that support system. I think our ideas and the things that we do want to birth into this world, a lot of people are um, either scared to do so or very hesitant to do so. Um, And I think having a support system to back you um, gives you the courage and it can really um, just overall um, help in, in seeing those things through. Yeah, for sure. And, and both of y'all actually touched on my next question, which was um, the inspiration behind 888 Studios. And can you talk a little bit more about what it is and just expand a little bit more on like what that journey has been like so far to bring that to life? Yeah. So I think the beautiful part about 888 Studios and its origin story is that in a lot of ways, it started from both a place of love and also a place of fun and just sheer enjoyment. Um, I think overall, like Kirsten mentioned, 888 Studios, or at least the idea of it has always been something that she's been thinking about. When I met her in 2019, it was one of the first things we she mentioned to me. Um, and so it was always something that was, it was always a plant, a seed that was planted between the both of us. But I just, I, I don't think either one of us knew how it was going to materialize. And I think in a lot of ways, initially Kirsten thought that it was going to take years to, to get this studio up and running. Like it was something like far off yeah. into the future. Um, but essentially when I decided to quit organizing in 2020, I kind of went under an identity crisis. I didn't really know what to do. I wasn't sure how to move forward. And um, when I really took the time to reflect and sit with myself, what I realized was music was always something that I had always enjoyed when I was younger. And it was something that I had abandoned after high school. Um, I used to be a musical theater kid and all that, like that was my thing. And then I kind of just let it go. Um, And so essentially 2020 was returning back to that love for music. And so in early 2021, Kirsten and I, we hadn't seen each other since 2019. We had gone to Howard Homecoming together and then we kind of just like didn't see each other after that. But our relationship was long distance, um, especially throughout the pandemic. So at, in the early uh, early 2021, we decided to see each other. So I flew down to Texas from New York. And essentially, I ended up um, falling in love with somebody on that trip, which was fucking nuts. But that's my life. That's who I am. I'm a Sagittarius. I fall in love on the whim. And so I, I met somebody and essentially... Um, they had, I had shared with them that I was pursuing music again. So at the time I was taking voice lessons and kind of loosely playing around with the idea. And they were, they encouraged me. They were just like, you know, you should move down here to Texas. I mean, there's a, it's booming here now. There's a lot of people moving down here. And um, I think the music scene is really cool. And so of course my Sagittarius asked, I'm like, Kirsten, this is exciting. We got to do this. And, you know, Kirsten's a really, a really great friend in the sense of no matter what it is that I'm presenting to her, she's going to take it seriously. And so imagine, you know, your best friend coming to you and just and saying like, yeah, I just fell in love with this person. And I, I think I want to move down here. And I think we should also start make a music video and, and, and do all these things. And so it was mm. kind of it was kind of wild. But when I say it, you know, the studio starts from a place of love. I really mean that not only in the sense of falling in love with another person, but falling back in love with your passions, falling falling in love with yourself and even understanding that we have the capacity to make our dreams come true. I think in a lot of ways, uh, the studio, it was it it, it it wasn't necessarily a risk, but 
it, it, it was definitely like a, a leap of faith. Um, right before that trip to Texas, I had won a $5,000 grant for the work that I had done with organizing. And so we used that money, that initial startup capital to just make the music video. I had the idea for Exodus already prepared. And so I was just like, Kirsten, I think we can do this. Let's make it happen. And so that summer of 2021, we really leaned into this idea of having fun with art, not taking things too seriously, but also understanding that whatever happened from that point on was going to change our lives forever. Like I literally remember we were in the car and we were kind of over our and in over our heads because we had never produced a music video before. We had never directed before. And we were in the car and we were praying to our ancestors and we were just like, ancestors, we're gonna get this done. We're going to make this music video and it's going to change our lives. And essentially, that's what happened. So much has unfolded since this music video came out and since we produced it. But it really started from we didn't know anything at all. We were just like two happy-go-lucky kids. We were just like, let's do it. And we did it. And um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where the studio starts. And um, it's a really beautiful story. <laughs> yeah. And I, I will add that... Um, I think very early on, because Mel and I met back in, oh God, I have no concept of time. 2019, yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay, so met back in 2019. And so when we did meet, it was just, um, it was one of those instances where like, knock on the door, hi, hello. And next thing you know, we're best friends for like four years after that. (laughs) Um, But Mel always, she used to express to me that like, God, like, I just feel like we would be like a dynamic duo, a dynamic duo. And I think at the time I was so concerned with a graduating, like trying to get through Howard was just like, (laughs) I'm not worried about anything. I'm not worried about no duo. I'm worried about trying to get this degree. Um, But I think she really recognized um, early on that, like, we complimented each other in a way um, that could really take us places. Um, And so yeah, when she did decide to move to Houston, um, it was a matter of like, hey, I have this idea. I have this money. This is what I know I do really well. And I also know that you do these things really well. Like, let's just come together um, and let's just do something. And it did feel very random, but it felt like, why not? Like, we might as well. We have nothing but time. It's the summer. We're both here. Um you know, are we award-winning directors and producers and things of that nature? No. Um, but we did end up making a very beautiful, beautiful music video. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely, I agree. It started from the deepest, deepest forms of love between us. <laughs> no, I love that. And I was, that was my next question to um, ask about Exodus. Cause I was rewatching it earlier today. And I think just like, I, you know, the story behind it is super interesting because I watch it and it looks like very professionally done. And so I love the, you know, the story behind it. Um, so can you, y'all talk a little bit more about the concept of it, um, what it is for people that haven't seen it and what the response has been like since its debut? Yeah, so Exodus is my first official music video as a music artist. Um, and essentially, Exodus, though, is just a segment of a much larger short film slash visual mixtape that we're working on putting together. Um, Essentially, the story that we're telling with Paradise is we're telling the story or we're depicting a world where Black women and queer folks are finally free. 
and we don't mean we don't necessarily just mean that as in like we've demolished capitalism and and, and all these and and, and anti-blackness like we're still very much rooted in the present but what we what we're establishing with paradise is this world where this group of black women and queer folks have developed their own maroon society and if you're not familiar with this idea of marinage marinage is a concept that developed um, or a phenomenon that developed during colonial times where essentially um, slaves would escape the plantation and create their own societies elsewhere in the mountain on the mountainside. So this would happen in places like Jamaica and Haiti, like the more literal forms of marinage. But marinage is also just the act of removing oneself from slavery. So the act of removing oneself from bondage. And so for me, when I think about Black womanhood, Black girlhood, and Black queerness, I think we are we are in bondage. We exist at a very unique um, spot within our systems of oppression where we are often doubly, triply oppressed, not only by anti-Blackness, but by uh, cis-heteropatriarchy, by all these different elements that aim to constrict our livelihoods. And as someone who has been organizing since the age of 14, when I took the time in 2020 to really understand what my relationship to organizing was, I began to realize that as a Black queer girl, I was always being encouraged to serve as a martyr for other people. I was always being encouraged to use my back as someone's bridge to freedom. And I was just like, yo, like, what the hell is going on? Like, I need to be free too. Like, I need to know what freedom looks like and tastes like and, and feels like. And so in 2020, when all the racial justice protests were happening, the music that got me through that time was this small little playlist that I made. And it featured music from Donny Hathaway, from Minnie Riperton, um, from Curtis Mayfield, uh, you know, people who were making music about what it meant to be free as a Black person. And so I had put this mixtape together and I would listen to it. And it's really sad, really heart-wrenching, but it tells a story. And the story essentially is the, this, this community of Black women and queer folks develop their own maroon society, and then it's burned down. And so the protagonist throughout the entire story now has to grapple with that feeling of loss. What happens when you lose the physical manifestation of what it means to be free and all you have left is yourself. All you have left is the values that you have been brought, uh, brought up on. And so Exodus, the, the music video that we created is kind of the climax of that story where the protagonist really sits with herself and is just like, yo, like, why don't I love myself? Why am I giving everything away to the ext external people, external things? Why am, not, why am I not pouring all this energy into myself? And that specific idea, it came from a conversation I had with a, a friend of mine in 2020 when we were just reflecting on the protests and we were like, yo, like, why do we believe that systems like capitalism and anti-Blackness, why do we believe that these systems can be taken down, but we do not believe in ourselves? We don't believe in our capacity to be transformed. We don't believe in our capacity to be better and, 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 to, and to emerge out of this sadness and darkness that we feel often. And so that was kind of a wake-up call for me because it really painted the picture like, I don't value myself. I don't know who I am as an individual. And so Exodus is really grappling with the politics with the politics of transformation. Who is allowed to transform? Who do we see as being worthy of rehabilitation? And what lies on the other side of that of that, you know, sadness of being of being told always that your life has no value? What happens on the other side of transformation when you decide that, that you're going to transform regardless of what these systems communicate to you, regardless of what everybody else says about who you are meant to be in this life. 
So that's what Exodus is. That's the story that we're telling. Um, and yeah, that's our first music video. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Just yeah. like as I, um, or Kristen, did you want to add something? Uh, no, no, you can go ahead. Okay, I was going to ask um, kind of on that point in terms of what you mentioned about marinage. I forgot like that's a huge element of it. But I think just watching your journey specifically, Melissa, on social media, like I think that's been a, a really cool thing to watch in terms of um, what you talked about, about leaving organizing to pursue, to pursue a more creative career. Um, and I know, of course, like with your work in organizing and political education, it's rooted in what you talked about in terms of like the Haitian Revolution and things like that. Um, can you expand on that as well a little bit more? Yeah. Um, so I think a question that people often ask me is, how are you able to bridge these things so seamlessly? But the truth of the matter is, it's not seamless at all. It takes a lot of sitting with the information that that you learn. Um, I think something that is very common in organizing spaces is we're like, you need to read all these books. And they give you this long list of, of material. But what I'm realizing is that it actually takes years for just even one piece of scholarship to really sit with you and for you to actually understand the magnitude that you're sitting with. Um, so for me, uh, I would say my starting point was really um, the Cumbie River Collective, uh, which is this black radical feminist group that developed in, in the 1970s. And what was really special about them was they developed at a time when all that was being communicated to black women and, and, and queer folks was black men matter most. Um, and black, you know, this was a time when specifically black women in Boston were being, you know, killed and, and, and nothing was being done to, to help them in terms of there was no there was no conversation in the movement about how to sit, how to help these women, how to how to how to, uh, how to uh, mitigate the harm that they were experiencing. And so the Cumbie River Collective was a manifestation of what happens when black when black women, specifically black queer women, say that they're going to create their own worlds, their own universes where black women are at the center of the work that they do. And I think very similar to um, to this concept of marinage, that was their way of breaking free from slavery, breaking free from this bondage that told them that their lives had no value as compared to that of black men, that their freedom had no value as compared to that of black men. And so, and thinking about these historical concepts, really taking the time to sit with what that even means, I think that type of theoretical understanding is what informs the work that we do at 888 because in a lot of ways us choosing to center black girlhood and queerness and womanhood in our work that is us actively breaking free from this bondage that tells us that our stories are not rich enough to be represented that our stories are not worthy of being seen on screen and i think in a lot of ways it also really helps to illuminate new paths new paths forward because it communicates that these futures that we keep talking about, these theoretical frameworks that we are developing to illustrate these Black queer futures, they actually don't just have to live in our heads. They can actually live in, in the present moment with us. We can actually watch these things on screen. We can actually gather in person to have uh, conversations about the importance of being free or the not only the importance of it, but the possibility of it. And I think that's what we're really passionate and interested about is not necessarily just the the concept of freedom but also the materialization of freedom um so yeah i think it just requires a lot of sitting with 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 these topics but also understanding your specific role in these frameworks it's like you have the framework but then what do you do with it do you let just let it sit and fester or do you do you take a more active role with it 
Mm-hmm. And Kirsten, I wanted to ask you in terms of bringing um, those things to life visually, I know, of course, because we worked on um, your songs and I protect you together and just in the process yeah. of working on that, like I had um, just the idea of wanting to communicate like a lot of information or like, you know, historical information or um, not necessarily like tell a story, but I think in working with you, like it, the idea that I had initially versus what your sounds when I protect you ended up being, I think how mm-hmm. it illustrated like the the power of that visual storytelling. So can you talk right. about as you are um, working on 888 and in those projects, how are you approaching or how do you think about either in terms of like the graphic design or the images or the videos, like how are you approaching um, the visual element of, of those ideas that Melissa is talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one thing that I want to take the time to point out is, or just highlight is um, something that Melissa and I, and I think foundationally that the studio stands on um, is this idea um, that Melissa had proposed maybe a a little over a year ago, but it literally is ingrained in my brain, Um, but that uh, brilliant ideas require brilliant processes. Um, And when she said that, I was like a little light bulb. I was like, ah. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's about right. Um, And so even through the process of making Exodus, I saw how like intricate um, and very, and and, and kind of like how much of like a delicate and intentional approach you do have to take with these type of processes, because um, you are, at least with Exodus, like you are taking, um, a message um, or you're taking a narrative that can be applied to so many different people and the way that you do deliver that is extremely important. Um, And so specifically with Exodus and even thinking about um, your silence will not protect you, um, the visual element, um, at least to me, is like just a taking the time to sit with what's being what 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 you're hoping to display um, or the, the tone of something, the, 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 uh, the overall message um, of the music video, of the zine, um, of the treatment. Um, what do you want people to feel? Um, and I know that like, it's kind of cliche. It's like, oh, you got to really tap into the emotion, but it's like, no, you really do have to sit with the emotion. Um, and so specifically with Exodus, um, we went through a process of, and we do this with um, all of our projects or at least a good chunk of our projects, we create um, treatments for them, which basically before we even go into production, before we start looking for cast and crew, um, we really take the time to develop the script. We take time to sit with the words. We take time to source images that um, display the words. Um, And so we take all of that, put it together, and then that then acts as a Bible or it acts as like our North Star for how the remainder of the project will unfold. Um, and so uh, with the music video, we um, just kind of broke it down and we were like, okay, you know, we know that like you need, we need to be showing you um, really kind of like like this internal chaos. What does that look like? Um, and just taking that and approaching it from several different angles. Cause I think like initially with, with things, um, or with, um, emotions, like we all kind of, we've seen it displayed through the media, um, kind of singular, singularly. Um, and so I think what was important for Melissa and I was like, okay. And 
how how many different ways can we take this um and like d- display this this one thing that's happening you know in a, in a very dynamic and fresh way um and so yeah and i think it, it's very similar to your silence will not protect you it was like um just finding really quality visuals i'm i you know i i think first and foremost like um low res things and 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 you know experimental projects i love them they're great they serve their purpose but we are in a very visually um um what is the word looking for we're in a very like overstimulated um environment visually especially online so it's like um you know, it's extremely important that the projects that you do choose to um, showcase and share with the world that they are of, they can, they can compete ultimately, um, and that they will stand out and that people, they will resonate with people um, as well. So yeah, just being very intentional about um, how do we really take the message, um, the tone, um, even the characters and like, create quality visuals around those those things yeah for sure and then in terms of um like this idea of being like a creative studio or just creatives in general like as you mentioned that idea of like the overstimulation oversaturation um both maybe in terms of visuals and images but or maybe just in terms of like I don't want to say like attention economy is coming to mind but just in terms of like people mm-hmm. just up space you know doing things on the internet or just in in whatever regard how do how are y'all navigating that um in terms of the things that y'all are creating and as you as you move forward so i think something that i've been thinking a lot about as it relates to artistry in general is everyone has something to say like everyone and i think the issue with that is as an artist is after spending months years on end working on a body of work how do you get your stuff heard how do you how do you draw attention to to your bodies of work and i think for me something i've been really sitting with is if you're in a room where everyone is speaking the best way to kind of penetrate that uh that market or grab their attention is to release quality work um, and to really take your time with the body of work that you're developing and then to really focus on how you're going to distribute that to the masses. What is the best way for you to really kind of just like drown out the noise for a moment um, so attention can be can be drawn back to you? And so for, for, for us at the studio, like that really does mean taking our time, not only with developing the idea, but also thinking about distribution, also thinking about how we're going to actually, um, uh, how we're going to have immediate access to, to our audience. And a lot, of the, a lot of times that means having physical in-person activations. So one thing that we did with Melly is we, um, you know, we released the video, but we released the video at an, at an artist, at, at a release party in New York City. And that was where um, people first viewed the video. Um, another thing that we did is Exodus was then debuted at, debuted to the public at Art Basel. So I, in a lot of ways, even our marketing strategy has really been about how can we get into museum and exhibition spaces? How can we bring this really 
this really uh, complex scholarship, how can we bring it to the people so that we can uh, initiate uh, these conversations in person so that we can really get into the nitty gritty of, of this work? I think in a lot of ways, the, what we figured out is that in, in, an, in an intention economy, in a, in, an, in, in a society that is heavily uh, moved by visuals, if you have all these complex topics that you want to discuss, if you have all these ideas that you want pe people to pay attention to, you have to create low-hanging fruit, the things that are going to really grab a hold of people's eyeballs, you know, what, like, you know, the things that's going to make people's eyes pop. And then, so that's the visual piece, but then the the meaty piece, the part that really matters is the story. What, what story are you telling? And, you know, as we're talking, it's not to say that 888 Studios is a conscious studio. All we do is talk about politics, but it is to say that we're really interested in complicating, um, complicating topics through visuals. So for example, with the other two artists that we represent, um, they work in Afrobeats um, specifically. And so we're often thinking about, okay, like how can we add a more nuanced layer to what we're trying to represent? You know, do we just want to have a group of women twerking on you or do we want to, in some ways, give her more agency in the story, allow her to make more choices about who she wants to spend time with and how she wants to work her body? I think in a lot of ways, it's not always easy to complicate these topics. It's not always easy to make these these concepts more complex, but it's worth it in the end because it's all about shifting how we talk about certain things. It's about shifting how we even visualize what's possible to represent on screen. Um, so yeah, I would say definitely that's 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 how we think about grabbing a hold on on people's attention. How we think about kind of distributing these more complex ideas. Yeah, and I would I would add to like um, just complicating the ideas a little bit more. It's mm -hmm. like what I really appreciated about Exodus and something that Mel and I talked about often was like um, there was just like a deep, a really deep introspection going on, and I think we do try to approach most of our projects in that way. It's like not. If we are taking the time to sit with it, we want our audience to take the time to sit with it as well. And not only to sit with it once um, or to just consume it kind of mindlessly, but to, to want to revisit it, um, want to look at it, want to ask themselves questions or ask other people questions um, and just engage with it in more of a meaningful way. So, yeah, just really encouraging because we're, we're such deep thinkers and we are so... Um, we, we do a lot of introspection, not only individually, but collectively, that um, we are encouraging other people to do that as well with our work. Yeah, for sure. And I think just in terms of like I was mentioning as I've kind of seen um, the things that y'all have posted and things like that, I think it's disrupting the way that I think about like my own things that I create, but then also like as I consume what other people create. Um, so I think that's a really like powerful way of thinking about it. And I know um, when we had spoke earlier Melissa, you talked about, um, was it the idea of like Haitian uh, radio and things like that in terms of like the propaganda you mentioned? Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how that kind of influences that strategy? Yeah, um, I think something I've been really obsessed with recently is distribution um, in the sense of we often think about the, the art making, like the process of creating, for example, a song or a music video. But then what we often fail to do as artists is the promotion part, is the distribution part, thinking about what are the different avenues that I have to communicate 
this these ideas that I'm that I'm conveying in my work. And so for me, what really got what really shapes my thinking around distribution is uh, again Haitian revolutionary uh, work and and in our, our revolutionary periods. So back in 2020 as well, I did a lot of reading on learning about my culture as as a as a Haitian person. I grew up in Haiti, so I think for me 2020 was really about a homecoming, but more so of a theoretical and historical homecoming. Like I needed to really understand like what's my history, where do I come from, who are my people. So one of the books that I read was talking about um, the period um, when Haiti was under the Duvalier dictatorship, which um, took place from around the 1950s to around the 1990s-ish. And essentially, being under this dictatorship, um, what how the rebel forces would often get their messages to the masses uh, of in the message was often freedom and liberation from this dick from this from this dictator class how they would often get that message to the masses is they would have their own radio stations and for me thinking about that thinking about the importance of having a a, a, a part of a point of distribution that really kind of shaped my, my 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 thought process around the importance of ownership and not only owning you know property or owning things but really owning the avenue through which you can even speak, through which you can even connect to the masses. And so in thinking about the radio, I think about 888 Studios similarly to a radio, because essentially it's not only, it's not only, you know, entrepreneurship. Like I think, I think we could boil anything down to entrepreneurship these days. But I think what's really special about 888 is that this is two young black girls, two young black queer girls that are really like owning their mode of distribution. Like we decide what goes through, what, what gets released by the studio. We decide what types of stories we, we, we invest our time and money into. And I think having something to house our brilliance and to house our, again, our mode of distribution, I just think that's really special because again, it's, if, if you don't have Instagram, if you don't have, um, if you don't have, you know, a, a phone in your hand, what is your mode of distribution? How do you get your ideas out to the masses? And I think in creating a 88 Studios, that's our that's one way that we are kind of practicing our agency and, and practicing our own personal power to really be intentional about how we're getting our messages across and to make sure that when it comes time to, again, release this propaganda of love, of liberation, of, of queerness, of Black girlhood, and, and, and things of that nature, that we're not relying on any other, uh, on any other institution, that we can rely on ourselves first. Um, because essentially, all these ideas that we're sharing, they're not in the mainstream per se, not in, not, and if they are in the mainstream, it's not as nuanced, it's not as complex as we're, as we're uh, tackling it. So if, if, if we can't get to the mainstream yet, I would at least feel comfortable if we controlled that distribution. And, and again, like we had the power to, to kind of dictate what we work on and what we don't work on. So that's the idea of the radio is really thinking about distribution, thinking about communication and thinking about owning it and, and what it specifically means for two young black girls, two young black queer girls to, to own that. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the like actual cultural pro- products, the projects that y'all have worked on, the videos, um, what is the process in terms of like the 
maybe like the space that you create like on a set or when you're talking about you know like you mentioned the the treatments or the concepts for things um to bring um those ideas to life I know you mentioned that like it's not just about conscious art or um things like that so what is the the process in terms of like on set or maybe in a in a more like logistic kind of sense yeah I would say um in terms of our on set practices um (laughs) I can I, I think I can speak for the both of us we are very caring loving individuals as you know even even when we're under like stress or we are working or it's just a hot it's a very energetic environment um I think something that's of importance to Mel and I is that we are creating environments that um, just overall feel conducive to everybody's hope, like well-being, um, mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, before we usually start uh, start any project day of. Um, we're really good about doing affirmations in the very beginning, asking everybody their pronouns. Um, just maybe giving a reason for why they're excited or what they're what they're hoping to see come out of the day. Um, so just taking time, I think just just I I think it's especially in the world of production in the world of TV and film, um, really the entertainment industry in general. There's just like this feeling of being rushed constantly like this just this urgency and I think that it's just very unnecessary um at times like do things need to get done um are there deadlines that need to be met absolutely but I think that that sense of urgency often times um disrupts people's overall well-being um and not only on onset but off um offset as well and so I think Mel and I, we, um, knowing that it's like, okay, how do we, again, like push against what, what the, the, um, the systems and like the practices that are so kind of deeply ingrained in this industry? Um, and how do we really create an environment that makes people feel safe and comfortable? I mean, we've had people crying on set because they feel just like empowered and liberated, um, and that was something very special for me to see. Um, just and the overall feedback that we get from people is, is um, you know, like I've just I've never experienced feeling this comfortable on set, or this this is my first time being in front of a camera, and like I just felt so comfortable with you guys. Or like I know, for instance, with our last shoot that we did, um, Mel expressed how special it was for her to look up and see that the entire cast and crew were young black queer people, um, and black women. Um, and so, yeah, just, just kind of like interrogating what is currently going on in like the white entertainment space, um, and taking the things that work, but also giving ourselves the space and the freedom to say the things that don't work. We don't want these, we, we, we just, we're going, we're going to reject that. And it just can't come with the studio. Yeah. And I, and I think overall too, like what makes our process so special is like something, something that I realized, like to be really honest and transparent as someone coming up and, you know, as, as an independent artist and kind of growing into that, something that I was sitting with and meditating on maybe a few months ago was 
how easy it is for a music artist or I guess like any type of mainstream artist to become narcissistic. Because essentially, when you're working as an artist, uh, specifically a music artist, and you have a team around you, you have a group of people dedicated to making your dream come true. You have a group of people pouring all their resources, all their time into you. And I think especially if you've never been exposed to that level of devotion before, it can become really quickly to allow that to go to your head and to completely, you know, uh, disregard everybody, everybody else's needs and desires. But I think what we do at the studio is we're really invested in learning Yes, this is what we're here to do on set today. Like we're here to shoot this video for Melly. But how does you working on this project, how does that bring you closer to your dream? And I think that's why we do all those small things of asking people for, for affirmations or asking people to set their intentions for the day. Because it's realizing that like my, my dream is an extension of your dream and vice versa. Um, and so it's really about making sure that we're tapping into the desires, uh, the individual desires of the people that we're working with. Um, I think something we've I've gotten into the habit of saying recently is I am a dream come true in the sense of I feel like we all have feelings that we can name, you know, the feelings of desiring freedom, feelings of desiring what it means to like feel like you actually belong somewhere. We, I feel like we've all daydreamed about those things before. I just feel like we've never known how those things would manifest in real life. And so I think in a lot of ways, 888 Studios is a dream come true for at least myself, because I never once thought that I would work in a place that makes me feel like I belong or work in a place where I actually have the power every day to dictate what we do and where I feel like I belong. But essentially, this is 888 Studios. It's my dream come true. And I think for a lot of people, especially people who interact with us on set, maybe they never imagined that they would feel that confident in front of a camera before. Or maybe they did, but they just never thought it would come true. And so being able to be that vessel that can kind of create that avenue for them it is, it is realizing that, you know, this is a dream come true, but also making sure that like, we're really focusing on how we want people to feel, how we want people to, um, you know, how we want people to walk away from the set um, and, and making sure that we're really prioritizing that. How do we make people feel good? And I think once you realize that and once you know how to do it, I think that's a feeling that people are gonna chase for the rest of their, of their lives. Like if, you, if you've ever been loved well, you're going to want to recreate that love everywhere you go. And so I think speaking about propaganda, that's the propaganda that we're interested in is like, how do we create the environment that makes you never want to leave? But because you have to leave, you're going to have, you're going to cre recreate that feeling and that emotion every everywhere else you go. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's how we think about it. Yeah, I love that. And I think just in, in, as y'all were speaking, I've um, been thinking about like that more forward facing, like as we were talking about the visual elements and the things that people can see and consume versus like we we're talking about like the the spaces in the, the vessel that is required to like help bring that to life. And so I think it's just dope that y'all um, approach that, um, that process with a lot of intention and thinking about like that whole process is just, you know, very powerful. So I do want um, to name that as well. Um, Thank you. To pivot a little bit, um, Melissa, you had mentioned your trip to Texas and that experience for you. What has um, that experience been like for both of you in terms of, like, I know Houston, of course, is where 88 is, is kind of rooted. Um, 
in terms of that like cultural scene that scene of black folks of young black folks of black women and queer folks like what has um houston or texas maybe overall represented to both of you in in terms of each of your like artistry individually but then with 888 that's such a great question um so i was this is so funny when I try when I try to tell this to people. They're like, "So you're a Texan?" Because born in San Antonio, raised in Dallas. Um, before moving to Houston, I was in Austin for a year. Um, but yeah, I was like, uh, Mel and I had spent a a good chunk of time in Houston, and I had never been to Houston growing up. For whatever reason, I was like, what are y'all doing? Why have I never been over here? Um, but yeah, I came to Houston and I think um, in living here now, what I do appreciate about it is that it does feel so culturally rich and it does really like everywhere you turn, you can just not only see, but feel how much of a melting pot it is. Um, and the one thing that... Um, I love about not only Houston, but Texas specifically, the South, um, is that there is this level of like pacing. And, and I know people make fun of us all the time. So they're like, y'all just move like you don't have anywhere to go. Um, <laughs> but there's just like this level of um, pace that takes place here. Um, and I think that that's so um, it's, it's, it's really apparent in the studio, as Mel mentioned earlier, that we do really like to sit with things. We like to take time with our projects and our ideas before birthing them into the world. Um, and I think as far as the scene is concerned, um, there is such I've, I've had a lot of conversations with um, multiple Houstonians um, and to my understanding, the creative scene is on a cusp at the moment. Um, there wasn't a lot of activ activity going on previously here, um, especially I think with uh, creatives of color um, and um, queer creatives at that as well. So it's exciting that like, and I think one of the, uh, the importance of the studio being here is that a, I think, it the the south in general aligns with a lot of our values in terms of like take you know just taking our time and being just very intentional and allowing us to sit with you know the things that are on our hearts um but also planting ourselves in an area where we can interact and and be directly involved with the creative scene that is like that needs that needs that support and that and that you know needs kind of like that fresh new um way of like being I guess in terms of like the entertainment industry um Mel I don't know if you want to add anything to that um yeah I mean I think for me so I mean Kirsten has the unique experience of like growing up in Texas not Houston specifically but Texas in general um and I I grew up in in the northeast but I always say I am a southerner because I grew up in the global south in the sense of I was born in Haiti that's where my roots are um, so I think in a lot of ways, going down to Texas, moving down there for, you know, for one summer, it, it felt like an adventure. Like I was really scared to make the decision. Like I literally visited Kirsten early May, like I would say like May 1st to the 4th or the 6th. 
I went back home to New York and then by June 1st, I was in Texas. So it was a really quick uh, turnaround time um, and, and it felt like an adventure. But when I actually got down there, it didn't feel unfamiliar. Like it felt like I was in a lot of ways home. And I really do love Houston. I, I love the people there. I love the the overall vibe. I think the best way someone described it to me is they said, Houston is a playground in the sense of you, you as an artist, you have like this open field to make your dreams happen, to make your, your visions into a reality. And it, it kind of felt, felt that way when I was down there, you know, it, it really felt like the world opened up to me when I was in Houston. Um, in a lot of ways there were, I received a lot of support. I received a lot of, a lot of really good energy when I was down there that helped build up the confidence for me to then take that leap to start uh, talking about myself as if I was a pop star, as if I was a, a, a music artist that was well into the career. So I think Houston, in a lot of ways, to Kirsten's point, there is a lot of pacing there, but there also is a community there, like a, like a really welcoming vibe that helped to at least help me enrich and grow as an, as an artist in such a short period of time. So definitely a playground for me um, and just really looking forward to continue investing into the artist community down there and continuing to collaborate with folks down there. And then in terms of um, like Southern politics and going back to what y'all were talking about in terms of like the values align element of, of Houston in the South, um, in terms of like the world that y'all are working to create through 888. Um, can you talk about how like Southern politics and history has kind of influenced um, the work that, that you all do or what you've learned maybe from, from that scene? I mean, I think something that definitely arise when I was going down to Texas was, you know, people were just like, are you sure? Like, it's so conservative down there. Um, but I think often that's the kind of language around the South that it's it's a it, it really feels like it comes from like not only a lack mindset but almost like an abandonment mindset as well like it's almost like there's no there's nothing down there in the south there's nothing worth keeping in the south so we're just gonna leave or we're just going to focus our energy elsewhere but i think the south um specifically not just talking about texas there are a lot of pockets of resistance in the south and i actually feel as if those pockets of resistance, they mirror marinage in a really cool way. Because again, choosing an alternative, because that's essentially what resistance is, it's choosing an alternative. I think there's something really powerful about that. And when I moved down to Houston, I quickly found that community of people that were resisting in their own ways, people resisting in terms of the clothes that they wear and how they express themselves, people who are resisting in terms of the types of politics that they embody, um, and people also resisting in the sense of what their identity are there are a lot of queer people down south a lot of, of a lot of black girls down south that are really recreating the landscape of black womanhood and girlhood so it's just like to kind of reduce the south to those uh, reductionist politics or to those conservative politics it it doesn't make sense and i feel like whenever i do hear people say that it communicates to me you don't know what you're talking about because i feel like the south is so rich and i i also think too because the south is kind of seen as this like, I don't know, this place that you don't want to go to. I feel like it exists on the fringes. And because it exists on the fringes, I feel like that creates the perfect environment for the right type of resistance, the type of resistance that's not always going to be pretty, that type of resistance that's going to make you stop and think. And I think that's why I really, I really fuck with Houston, because like, 
it, I mean, honestly, it was the perfect home for Exodus to, 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 to be planted and, 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 and grown. Definitely. And then, um, in terms of, um, I know you mentioned that you, that y'all manage a couple other artists. Can you talk about those artists and, you know, things that, um, you may have coming up that we can keep an eye out for? Yeah, we're super excited. We have a very energetic, um, summer mm-hmm. <laughs> underway um so our other two artists are they're both nigerian both um re- live in texas one is in houston one's in dallas um by the names of dami and cams um they both will be debuting this summer so i would definitely say be on the lookout for that um but yes uh, i know we briefly mentioned earlier but um they both are in the Afrofusion space, which is very exciting. Um, I would say more specifically, and it's been such a learning process with them, um, but just really diving into um, the different ways that Afrofusion um, is currently present or the way that it, it's, it'll morph in the future, um, even on a piano. Um, and then of course we can't forget about Melly. Melly's the studio's first artist and she, um, I, I, I'm so excited. I don't even know how to describe like the, the many projects that we have for Melly going on at the moment. Um, she, uh, she will be releasing a single as well. Um, a music video. I mean, Mel, I, I don't, I, I don't know how much we can touch on this, but yeah. Um, we the the three artists that we do currently manage are Melly, Dami, and Cams, and um, along outside of them, um, well, because because Mel does work full time, I am freelancing, so we we aren't currently taking on other artists. But um, and and that being said, they are our primary focus with the studio right now is making sure that we get them in a place. Um, where we can successfully debut them. Um, Mel, is there anything that you want to add? Um, I mean, I would just say, like, it's going to be a very, very, very exciting summer, I think, for us. Um, I think in a lot of ways, we're tapping into the same adventurous spirit we had last summer when we were producing Exodus, but this time we have more direction and like more conviction within ourselves. Cause I do think one thing with Exodus was like, yeah, we did it, but it felt like we were kind of navigating through the dark. We had no idea what we were doing some of the, some of the time. Um, and I think now like we're still, we're still figuring things out, but it feels like we have more clarity and I would say more confidence within ourselves to really materialize what we're seeing in our heads. And so I just think it's going to be very exciting for all of us. And I think I'm going to manifest it now. It's going to change our lives again. So, <laughs> you know, like, I think right. I think that's 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 what I would add is this going to be a very exciting summer. And then um, how can listeners stay connected with um, 888 and both of you and all of your work? Yeah, so um, the way you can stay updated with us is we we do have an Instagram. We have no posts yet. Um, kind of taking a slow uh, rollout with that. Um, but you can definitely follow our Instagram. It's at eight eighty eight dot studios. Kirsten. Yes. Yes. Eight eighty eight dot studios. Um, on Instagram. Um, and then in our bio, you can find our um, 
you can find our like portfolio. Um, my Instagram is queer cadet. So it's spelled Q U three, three R cadet. And then Kirsten's Instagram is underscore underscore. So that's two K A dot E. Yeah. So, um, and we'll, we'll be releasing work throughout the summer, um, specifically again from our three artists. So that's something to look forward to from the studio and also hoping to have some in-person activations very soon. Um, so yeah, we're very excited to do that all in Texas. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to stay connected with Melly K and 880 Studios, be sure to check out the show notes. They're currently taking clients, and the links to their portfolio and inquiry form are in the show notes as well. Again, be sure to rate and review Better to Speak the podcast on whatever listening platform you're using right now, and donate if you feel moved to to support and sustain the show. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Felton. Thank you for listening.